Hello and welcome to the Stockout. This is your show at FreightWaves that discusses the consumer packaged goods industry, the CPG industry, and their supply chains. I am your host, Mike Bowden, Distal, and the head of Intermodal Solutions here at FreightWaves. And today, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Kroger, and uh, they just had an earnings call last week, which I think gives CPG companies insights into knowing what their, well, at least one of their largest customers is saying, probably not their largest, but but one of their largest, um, which is only going to get larger with this Albertsons acquisition, assuming it closes. So I'll talk about that. I'll talk a little bit about why uh, grocery prices are still high, even though uh, the underlying commodity prices have been falling. And um, talk through some sonar highlights, talk about freight uh, transportation data trends that we're seeing in our high-frequency data at FreightWave. So I'll go through those things uh, today, try to be efficient um, here. Don't think I'm going to take up the whole time. But I'll start with uh, Kroger, uh, since we don't have a, a sponsor today. Uh, Kroger uh, reported last week, December 1st, they, they reported the same store sales for the quarter up 6.9%, digital sales up 10%. So it almost seems like, well, you sort of think about how, how much uh, grocery prices are up, which is sort of in that 13 to 14% range. You know, maybe saying a little bit of, of, of volume slippage there. They did um, you know, increase their same store sales guidance for the year, though, from four to four and a half percent to five point one to five point three percent. The implication is that they'll have about four percent same store sales growth in the fourth quarter, which ends, I believe, in January. Um, retailers tend to report at a little bit of an off uh, time, um, so. That's a little bit of what CPG companies should maybe be expecting if they're selling into in, into Kroger. Um, Kroger took its earnings per share guidance up ever so slightly, up a dime from three ninety five to four hundred five to four hundred five to four fifteen. Wall Street seemed disappointed in that shares down about six percent in the last five days, um, and they addressed that sort of falling uh, same store sales uh, you know growth guidance from only four percent in this upcoming quarter. Uh, by saying they're really lapping higher inflation with last year, so it's a little bit of a, of a timing, uh, you know, situation. Um, so there's also some interesting comments from you know various analysts that ask questions about you know the market share. I mean, one of the, the topics I've talked about here on the Stockout Show is the discount grocers and discount retailers taking share in the grocery categories from the traditional retailers. So you've seen people trade down from companies like. Kroger to companies like Walmart, even some of the dollar stores are getting in on the action. Most of those big box retailers say they're they're taking a share, which makes a lot of sense. But um, you know, some of the, the analysts commented and, and pointed out, and, and I think uh, Kroger's management team agreed that it seems like the market market their market share is stabilizing. So it does seem like a lot of the people who were inclined to trade down from the traditional grocers to the discount grocers have maybe already done that. Um, like Kroger also brings up a good point that eating at home is about three to four times cheaper than uh, going out to a restaurant. That's an argument that a lot of the CPG you know, companies make uh, for why their elasticities have been uh, so uh, low relative to history, um, given how much prices have, have risen for a lot of these uh, CPG items, which have been a lot of them in the in the fifteen percent you know range this year and and last year in the high um, in the high single digits. Kroger also mentioned that a supply chain in general is getting better and uh, some areas that they are still having issues: cat food, dog food, baby formula. That seems like to be the issue that never goes away, and cold remedies, which is probably the most inopportune time to not have uh, cold remedies on. 
uh, the shelf. But you know, the dog food and cat food thing is interesting because there's been a lot of additional capacity in pet food manufacturing that is currently um, in the process of getting ramped up. And actually, some are suggesting that maybe the industry is going to overshoot that and, and build too much pet food manufacturing capacity, which could lead to a glut. I mean, a, a lot of that's in response to uh, people adopting pets during the pandemic. Those pets are going to be around for a while. And actually, the um, the, 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 the pet ownership, uh, pet you know, some people don't call it pet ownership, pet, being a pet parent has been a growing trend with you know families getting smaller. So it's really been that, that pet food category has been a huge growth in the CPG um, you know, industry and don't really see that slowing down, even with things uh, you know, opening uh, up after the you know, height of the pandemic. Um, you know, Kroger says it believes that the supply chain and uh, alternative profits uh, should be tailwinds next year. So uh, maybe supply chains that are not as constrained as we've seen. And then the alternative profits category is an interesting one for grocers because it includes things like selling advertising space to CPG companies or others that would make good use of it. If you're a CPG company and let's say you're selling a certain type of protein bar that people haven't heard of, uh, you know, you could target people who typically buy cliff bars, typically buy power bars, get in front of them, maybe give them a coupon, they can get one for you know, 25 cents or something just to, to sort of get them in the door. I think those type of, um, you know, sort of cyber t- uh, advertising is, is really going to um, come on strong here in the next few years. I think it's only going to be bolstered by Kroger's acquisition of Albertsons, which would give it data on most every consumer that shops at a traditional, um, you know, grocery store, which is going to be something like over 100 million uh, households. Uh, another interesting thing that uh, Kroger says, it believes that, that its inflation will be 2.5% to 3% or so for next year, which um, you know, seems like that would be a little bit better than what they experienced uh, you know, this year. So something to keep in mind if you're a CPG company selling into these, into these stores, it looks like their inflation is, it, the, the, those retailers' inflations come down a little bit. It still is higher than what they would traditionally say is sort of the typical amount of uh, cost inflation that they would normally see, which is sort of in that 1% to 2% uh, range. Also on the topic of Kroger and Albertsons, there was a hearing in front of uh, lawmakers. Um, I didn't see anything that was new, but I did think there was a really good quote that I'm going to read you from uh, Michael Needler. He's an independent grocer from a company called Fresh Encounters, a third-generation independent grocer. He told this to a panel of uh, lawmakers um, in Washington, this was published by Winsight Grocery Business. So um, he, he says, our view is this, American grocery sector is getting less competitive from increasing competition and unchecked buying power due to a lack of enforcement of the Robinson-Patman Act. Let me be clear, we are an agnostic on this transaction and the transaction in question is, is Kroger acquiring Albertsons. Um, we are not afraid to compete against anyone, no matter how big we are opposed to the lack of constraints on buyer power which thwarts our ability to compete in the first pl- for, in the first place. So if you're not familiar with this Robinson-Patman Act, so this was a law, went into in the law you know, a number of decades ago, and it's designed to make sure that sort of independent stores that are smaller, smaller grocery stores, smaller you know, booksellers, et cetera, can compete against the largest national chains. And it makes it so uh, a supplier, in this case, CPG company, can't discriminate on price and let's say, uh, for instance, charge Walmart $1 for every box of uh, Oreos and charge a local grocer $3 for the same 
uh, box of, of, of Oreos. So argument this grocer is making is that law, which is on the books, is not enforced and um, sort of looked into it a little bit. And there really haven't been a lot of um, you, you know, legal uh, cases that sort of surrounding that. I looked and saw one that was um, a lawsuit against five-hour energy for supposedly discriminating and giving a Costco a, a better price than a local local stores for five-hour energy. And I guess the way they sort of get around it is by saying, well, these are, these are functionally not the same you know, type of SKUs if they buy in, in, in bulk. So it really hasn't been something that's been enforced, but it is something that maybe will be looked at closer, um, assuming that Kroger is able to acquire uh, Albertsons. Uh, Kroger has said that they're going to go out with Albertsons as one company to its suppliers, sort of as you would expect. Implication is, well, you know, maybe they should be getting, you know, better price in addition to doing things like streamlining uh, supply chains. So something to watch, uh, you know, going forward. I'll move on to topic number two. And really it's that grocery prices haven't fallen with commodity prices. And that's been one thing that's been written up in a lot of the, the business news here. Uh, you know, recently um, they take surveys of what people's biggest economic uh, concerns are right now. And actually the number one thing in a lot of these surveys is grocery prices. And I think that's, you know, something that maybe comes up because, you know, you go to a grocery store on average, you know, a couple times a week for those people that do the shopping in their, in their household and sort of see it all the time. And it's still kind of, you know, shocking that your same uh, things you bought, you know, a year ago might be 20% higher or more versus what it is. And I think overall, Grocery is still trending higher, and that's around 13 to 14% range. But it, it's, it has been a situation where every month they've been higher than the last month overall. And you know, I have a, a chart here on wheat prices. And you would sort of look at that and say, well, I mean, grocery prices should be coming down. I mean, look how much they, 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 they rose steadily throughout the, the pandemic. Okay, March 2022 hit uh, after the Olympics ended, you had the invasion of Ukraine. Wheat prices, um, agriculture prices went crazy. Lately, they've come down to kind of before um, you know that time period and sort of the beginning of, of this year. You would sort of say, well, you know, that should translate into um, in, into lower grocery prices. But you know, a couple points here from some of uh, the, the the press that's written about this. Normally, it takes about three to six months for grocery prices to adjust, uh, at least downward. And retail prices, you know, as I've talked about before on, on the stockout tend to adjust slower on the way up in response to commodity prices than the producers' prices do. And then on the way down, they also react uh, you know, lower. There's just more sort of barriers there between the commodity costs and ultimately what consumers end up bearing. Have a sonar chart that shows both the consumer price index and the producer price index graphed on top of each other. And You've seen that the in the white line there is the the CPI. Um, you know that's the the, the prices basket of, of of goods that the consumer is paying at stores, and as we all know, that's been up as much as over you know ten percent, and and the last reading was seven point seven percent. The producer price index is what uh, producers uh, manufacturers pay for their inputs, and that's risen a lot too. In fact, it's risen faster than the CPI throughout the second half of 2020, throughout the entirety of 2021, and the first half of 2022, those prices have finally started to crack. And so you look at that and say, well, if those two lines continue to go in opposite directions, consumer prices rising, producer prices falling, um, or at least that, that gap you know, widening, 
then the CPG companies, other manufacturers start to see a rebound in the margins that um, they saw shrink uh, in the last couple of years. Most of them had a margin decline in 2021, had another further margin decline in 2022. They've already seemed like they're trying to catch up in terms of increasing their prices. They've had to go to the retailers a number of different times, asking them for multiple rounds of uh, price increases. So a couple other uh, bullet points here for why those prices are taking longer to fall is it's easier just to keep the, for, for retailers just to keep the prices frozen rather than re- reduce them. And maybe that just means in the future, instead of having to take another price increase, uh, you know, take them to, if, instead of taking the prices down in order to just increase them again, they can just sort of keep them uh, flat. And that seems to keep consumers happier than um, raising prices, which they tend to, tend, tend to notice. And then um, also there's just a lot of other costs that are still rising that uh, the, both the CPG companies and the retailers are having to bear that go beyond the in- ingredients, which would be things like, of course, labor, packaging prices is still at a high level, transportation costs. Yes, those have come down if you exclude fuel, but fuel's a lot higher than it was last year. So all in, those prices are still, those, those, those costs are still higher. All things considered for CPG company, for the retailer, and then uh, contract manufacturing has been an, an issue for the CPG companies and then the, the, the grocers, um, you know, those real estate is, is, is expensive. You know, if, is it to the extent that, that um, leases roll over, those are being, you know, priced at a higher uh, level. So that's a little bit why, you know, we're not really seeing uh, relief at the grocery store. And I'll move on to the last segment today. I'll run through some sonar highlights of a few things that I would be paying attention to if I was uh, at a CPG company. And I'll bring up the first one here, which is the van contract rates, comparing those to the um, the NTI. So van uh, driving contract rates in white, you see that national average of $2.62, that excludes fuel. So if you're looking at this excluding fuel, you've gotten a break from early this year when they were about $3. So they're down, let's call it uh, 15% or so. If and the NTIL is the one in orange, which is the spot rates, and we, you know, spot rates typically include fuel. With this data set, we're using an algorithm um, mathematically to, to remove what the fuel surcharges would be using a dollar twenty um, as a baseline. Most fuel surcharges based on a dollar twenty sort of baseline, you know, fuel, and then and then go up from there. So you sort of compare those two things and say, well, at the start of the year, uh, uh, spot rates were higher than contract rates, you know, like they should be, and then you know, really starting in about March. The spot rates really fell fell off a cliff, and that's when um, you know we really started writing articles on FreightWaves.com about how we're expecting uh, freight um, you know weakness in the freight market. You know, March is t- typically a very strong month for freight, so really the market was doing sort of the opposite of what it should have been doing, which we we interpreted as being a pretty strong uh, signal there. And now you look at um, you know where those those two lines are. 262 national average for for van contracts, 202 average for spot rates. So the spot rates are lower by 60 cents a mile, and so that's a, a situation where shippers are going to move from moving um, you know goods in the contract market to moving them on the spot market. It means also when van contracts roll over, that the shippers can be more aggressive in negotiating uh, those. Rates, and I think we're going to see that, um, you know, especially when a lot of these uh, contracts either roll over, you know, early next year or once we get past the holiday season. Um, 
January and February are traditionally weak months in the freight market. March does tend to be a little bit stronger, but it, it is a long way until um, in, until March. Um, so that's what I think we'll see in you know the dry van market. Another uh, thing you know thing I want like to look at is the tender rejection index, sort of one of the, the flagship indexes that we have here at uh, Freight Waves and. This particular one includes uh, both dry van, refurb, um, even some intermodal uh, tenders are, are there. But you know, dry dry van is the, the the bulk of this. And really, what you notice now is just how there hasn't been any seasonal ramp up. Uh, you see, the white line is 2022. You see how that's declined throughout this year, and you haven't seen that seasonal bounce. In November, like even you did in 2019, and 2019 was a very weak year for freight. There were a lot of uh, carrier bankruptcies, but even then, you saw that orange line bounce upward and and got as high as almost you know 14% um, tender rejection rate. A higher tender rejection rate is a tighter uh, market relative to how much capacity is available. And now we're sitting at 4%, which is just about the lowest it's been. Um, you know, really in a long time since certain parts of 2019, which was, uh, of course, it was really weak, you know, freight years, as, as I said. So that's another um, indicator that there's plenty of uh, capacity available, that the, the carriers are not rejecting tendered loads, that they would move under the, the contract markets when those are available, they're, they're taking them. I'll move on to the next one, which is the reefer outbound tender rejection uh, rates, which looks very similar. If you sort of blink, you might not have um, noticed we changed uh, uh, charts there. But there, um, and the, the reefer uh, tender rejection rate is even less than, the over, or not, not less than the overall, but it looks worse relative to recent years, where uh, 6% of refrigerated uh, tenders are, are being rejected. And, and what's sort of noticeable is not only that it's well below the last three years, but just how how steeply it's come down. You know, we're looking at, at um, 2021, the te- reefer tender rejection rate was as high as 50% in early 2021. It was particularly tight after the Texas uh, snowstorm uh, in, in February of, of that year. It was also very tight in, in, in 2020, where it got up to about 50%, where about 50% of uh, reefer carriers were rejecting tenders. Now we're down at 6%. There's plenty of capacity in that market as well. I know a lot of CPG companies play in that market and care more about that market than, than, than drive in. So I wanted to highlight that as well, that um, that change has been even more uh, dramatic um, despite the fact that uh, the reefer um, carrier market is more, is, is, is more fragmented. Still wouldn't call it a fragmented or, or more concentrated than I would still wouldn't call it a concentrated market, but more concentrated than the the, the dry van uh, you know market. I'll move on to this next one, which is the intermodal uh, contract uh, rates, and I, and I wanted to bring this up too because intermodal contracts um, you know are one where I think next year you're going to see a very different pattern than you've seen the past two years. So the past two years, for going from 2019 to 2020, and also going from 2020 to you know, 2021 and then into 2022, what you really had is two consecutive years of steep double-digit contract rate increases. And so you see how in 2021 in orange, there was a big jump up from the previous two years, 2022 in, in the white line, another big jump up from 2021 levels. And what contributed to those were 
very a lot of tightness in the the peak season, sort of the fall traditional sort of peak season um, in, in intermodal, which you tend to think of as being October as kind of being the peak month for intermodal. You know, some in the the months that neighbor October, sort of September and and um, November, but you really haven't seen a significant intermodal peak season this year. I think you know JB Hunt summed it up really well in their third quarter earnings report when they just said you know intermodal peak season is not going to be much an event. Confirmed what we were seeing in our uh, data, but when you know when when that happens, uh, shippers are much less concerned with securing capacity for next year's uh, fall peak season. And so um, usually if uh, they're concerned about securing capacity for sort of the fall peak, maybe they would agree to a little bit higher price for the full year. So that capacity in the, in the, the back half of the year is available. That doesn't seem to be necessary for shippers, um, at least if they sort of think, well, past is going to be prologue and, and don't think there's going to be a big change in consumer spending in um in uh, some of the other uh, things that go into intermodal volume, which would be uh, the, the port activity and the, the uh, inventory levels, which you know those should get better uh, sort of throughout next year, you would think, um, you know, may overcorrect uh, at some point if there's so little ordering and so little imports that they draw down uh, those 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 inventories. But for for now, it doesn't look like. Um, you know, the, the, the rates are going to go any higher here and, and intermodal contract would expect those to be down uh, next year. So those are a few of the highlights. Um, some of the other things that, um, you know, I'll talk about for uh, 2023 in terms of the, the CPG companies is there is a lot uh, potentially coming in terms of regulation. There's a lot of, um, you know, regulation for that's, you know, you know potential for, you know, things like nutrition labels where, you know, the Biden administration did a hunger summit recently and had a lot of recommendations based on, um, or basically proposed, you know, regulations based on what's taking place in Europe, where they're having to have a, a big nutrition labels on the front of packaging, which is supposed to just be a lot clearer than what we see currently on food products, which is everything on the back label. It would be kind of a stoplight, you know, red, um, yellow, green for salt sugar and fat. So just really easy to tell if this is something um, you know you want to, to eat or not. There's also a lot of regulations coming up down the pipe, particularly in California related to, to animal welfare. Things like, you know, are um, you know, the chickens being treated properly? Are the um, you know the pigs given enough room in order to make their conditions humane? So there's a lot to um, you know watch out for there uh, too. So um, a lot of topics I think to 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 monitor with the CPG industry, I think still the two biggest uh, issues in the CPG industry are uh, elasticity. Sort of, you know, prices are a lot higher than they have been. Consumer seems to be getting more stressed. How much is sales volume going to change in response to those levels? So far, elasticities have been low, but some companies have, have talked about those as uh, as as rising. Um, so that could be. An issue, and then the other thing is just you know, can these companies get their margins, uh, you know, back, and and what ultimately happens with their prices um, if those commodities continue to come down? Are prices just going to sort of stay where they are at a at a high level, and maybe it means that these companies don't have to go back to the retailers to take price, or maybe they take price you know up one percent a year for the next few years instead of taking them up uh, four or, or five percent like they might normally. Uh, so that's a uh, you know, question. Or are these CPG companies going to get more competitive and say, well, you know, we're losing volume 
um, because of the sales, they're going to start to start to cut uh, you know, prices. I think that remains to be seen. I think you know some of the other trends I'm seeing in CPG industry is cutting the number of SKUs, where the CPG companies are looking at their portfolio and saying, you know, we don't need this many SKUs, particularly when we think that if we eliminate one of the lower profit, less profitable um, SKUs, that those customers are going to go to one of our other products, and we're just going to have um, more profit from those customers because we can funnel them into something else. Um, you know, CPG company does need to have a certain amount of scale in order to do that. So some of the companies that we see doing that are you know, Nestle and JM Smucker Company, which uh, you know, Nestle is the biggest packaged food company. Smucker has a lot of different options and things like coffee where it feels like it can steer consumers to another one of their those products. So I think we'll see a lot of that. And then another thing I'm, I'm watching is just all the automation, which um, is really being invested in heavily um, across the board, but you know, sort of especially in a lot of these meat uh, processing companies that are having a hard time uh, finding people. Uh, so with that, that's really what I wanted to go over today. If you have not already signed up for the newsletter, please do so at www.freightwaves.com forward slash the stockout. If anyone needs anything from me, um, you know, please reach me at m. Bowdendistal at freightwaves.com, also available on uh, LinkedIn. And hope everyone has a great uh, Monday. 